Hello and welcome to Shot Selection on Riot Radio. I am your host, Sean McLeod, and welcome to this week's podcast for the week of January 17th. It has been an entire winter break since we last had an episode, and it felt like the shortest winter break of my entire life. I think it was two weeks. Felt like less than that, if I'm being really honest with you guys. But we have basketball back, and that's the really important thing. That's the thing we're here to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Raptors. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets finally trading for James Harden. It felt like that thing has been in the works for months. And we're going to kick off the show with a little update on Ontario Tech basketball and some Durham Lords basketball news in there as well. So let's get right into the first story of the day. This week, I got a chance to sit down with Scott Barker, the athletic director at Ontario Tech, and ask him a couple questions about how the pandemic has changed things for the school. And one of the questions that has came up and something that I've really wanted to know for a while, something that we've all speculated on, was the status of exhibition games. If you've been following along with COVID-19 over the winter break, it looks dire right now. We're up around 3,000 cases a day, anywhere from 60 to 90 deaths a day. It's not a good situation. Uh, If you remember, we throw this back to pre-winter break times, I was talking about the possibility of a Durham Lords Ontario Tech exhibition game just as something that I wanted. And I started hearing through the grapevine here and there, oh, this is happening then, this is happening then. And there was never really a date on it. It just kind of floated around. I got a chance to ask Scott Barker the question, is that going to happen? And the answer is likely no. Emphasis on the likely With the way COVID-19 goes these days, it goes up, it goes down. Currently, it looks like it's on the downtrend, hopefully, after all of the holiday spikes that happened. But I would say that we're in a spot where it doesn't look like we're anywhere close to having enough safety for our athletes to have exhibition games. And I think Scott Barker agrees. It made a lot of sense at the time, though. You share facilities, you're in the same region, let alone the same building, literally down the hall from each other, same athletic staff, a lot of the stuff overlaps, and it made a ton of sense. It just looks like it's off the table for now. That doesn't mean that it won't come back, but I, the vibe that I got was that it would take a lot for it to come back. And the other thing that they were looking into, and I heard this again from a few athletes here and there, and I, and this is all going to be in the print edition of the Chronicle later this month or next month. I had heard that they were going to be potentially looking at traveling to Laurentian, traveling to Lakehead, places that didn't have a large amount of COVID-19 cases at the time. Honestly, I I don't even think that there's any way that that could happen anyways with the way that budgets have been slashed across the youth sports, not even just at OT. Across youth sports, budgets have been slashed because of less students coming to the school, less students paying fees. In some cases like Carleton, they've rebated fees by 50%. I don't think that you could budget for a travel situation like that. And I, I, I'm i sure they don't disagree. <laughs> so there's a lot of problems that come with that. And I think my main takeaway is that I don't get the vibe that we're going to see exhibition games in any form or fashion anytime soon. Now, there's nothing to say that those won't happen eventually, But my gut feeling is that if you leave it past March, you leave it into April, students are going to start going home after exams and you're not going to have the bodies on campus to 
put together an exhibition game. And I really don't think the numbers are going to go down that quickly to make that a reality. So I think that's where we stand with university sports at the moment and across Canada. It's really hard to put anything together because you can't predict where this virus is going because it's so reliant on people following the rules and you you don't have control over everybody, right? So that's where we are. And I think I'll leave it at that. But I will say this before we get out of this topic. A whole year without university sports on campus, without college sports on campus, it's brutal. It's heartbreaking for me as a sports fan, as a student, as somebody who always dreamed of going to collegiate games and cheering for their alma mater. I'm going to be graduated next year. I spent this whole year without going to a sports game that wasn't esports, essentially. It's rough. This is this is what I love to do. I love reporting on sports, but it's harder. It's even harder for athletes. And when they come back, we need to be there. We need to be cheering loudly. We need to be reporting on them, and we need to be talking about the accomplishments because these guys are special, and their stories are special, and they deserve way more than what they've gotten in the pandemic. The trade that we've been talking about for months has finally happened. James Harden has made his way to the Brooklyn Nets from the Houston Rockets. The trade was a monster 14 trade with the Cavaliers receiving Jer Allen and Torian Prince from the Nets. The Nets received James Harden from the Rockets in a second round pick. Pacers received Karis LeVert in a second round pick. And Karis LeVert has a small mass on his kidney and will be missing time, which was found in an MRI in the trade. The Rockets received Dante Exum, Victor Oladipo, Four first-round draft picks, all of which are unprotected, and four first-round draft pick swaps, all of which are unprotected. That is insane and well worth it for James Harden, in my opinion. But let's talk about what this trade means for the Brooklyn Nets right now. It's fairly obvious that things weren't working out with James in Houston, the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins experiment didn't quite work. Christian Woods looks like he's coming on strong, looks like he's taking that next step, but that's just not enough to keep James Harden in Houston. They're going to have to figure out what they're doing. But the idea of an Oladipo, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins team, if they can pull that together and be a scrappy ninth, tenth seed, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. But honestly, I don't think that they have much upside beyond that. What Brooklyn is getting here is huge, but I don't think it's that big for this year. And the reason why I don't think it's that big for this year is Kyrie Irving. Now, disclaimer before we get into this topic, it's not fair to put everything on Kyrie. They can't defend a tree stump at the moment. And I don't know if they have the people on their roster right now to make that jump from a good team to a championship winning team and that's the divide where they're at at the moment but a big part of the issues that they're going to face this season is just Kyrie Irving's unpredictability and frankly unreliability currently he's away from the team an unexplained absence apparently Steve Nash has no clue what was going on behind that Kyrie didn't communicate that he was going to be leaving the team and then was found to be partying maskless now he's eating a huge fine, portions of it are going to charity, 
standard stuff, honestly, it was a slap on the wrist, in my opinion. $50,000 for that is no deterrent at all for a multi-million dollar NBA athlete, but that's neither here nor there. And apparently they're upping the rules around that. So good for the NBA because they were way too lax. But if we're going to be discussing the Brooklyn Nets as NBA championship contenders, they need Kyrie to be all in. We can't have these situations where Kyrie is refusing to speak to the media and making the story him. Like, let's be honest. If Kyrie just straight up talks to the media, says nothing answers for the entire time, is that a story? I don't think it is. Russell Westbrook did that the entire time that he was in Oklahoma City, and the most that we got out of it was a couple memes here and there. There was nothing to talk about around Kyrie, around the Brooklyn Nets, other than the fact that the Brooklyn Nets are a scary offensive team, and the fact that Kyrie took it upon himself to say, I'm not talking to Pons, to make it a divisive statement like that in the middle of a preseason. I don't see how that helps the team. And I don't see how it helps the team to not even communicate to your brand new head coach that you're leaving the team, to not even give them a reason why. Is Kyrie coming back? Well, apparently they didn't know until a few days ago, but again, now he's coming back through a a ramp-up system. That's crazy to me. And that's not even addressing the fact that Kyrie has been historically injured when it comes playoff time. And this is a problem that dates back to him at Duke, whether you want to believe that that injury at Duke was real or not. I just don't know that you can rely on Kyrie as a person. I don't know if you can rely on Kyrie's body. I don't know. I really don't. I love him as a player. I think he's one of the top five most gifted offensive talents in the league. When it comes to a guy that can just get his bucket at will, one-on-one versus another defender versus two defenders, give me Kyrie. Give me a fully healthy Kyrie. I think he will get that bucket regardless of the situation a good number of times. But when Kyrie is disengaged, when Kyrie is the story, historically that hasn't played out well for his teams. When Kyrie was the story in Boston, when he was calling up LeBron, I know how it feels. When he was saying, I'm returning. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm back. This is my city. There's so many instances of Kyrie making the story himself when there was no story to begin with. Seeing this play out in Brooklyn again, that's confusing for me. It's frustrating. He's such a talented player. The fact that it might cost Brooklyn a championship this year is maddening for me. And I know a lot of people aren't going to want to talk about that. A lot of people aren't going to say, well, Kyrie's the problem. A lot of people are going to say Kyrie's misunderstood. And maybe he is. Do I think that Kyrie gets undue media criticism? Sure. Do I think that they don't highlight the amount of good stuff that he does within his communities? Sure. I think that every athlete deals with that issue, though. So this isn't a problem with the media. This isn't a problem with the coverage of Kyrie. The problem is Kyrie. And I'm not sure that the Brooklyn Nets are equipped to deal with it, especially without Dinwiddie. 
I guess this is a really long-winded way of saying that although I love the fit of James Harden and Kevin Durant on the same team, of course, it's not the first time that they've ever been on the same team, flashing back to the Oklahoma City Thunder, I'm not sure that Kyrie is engaged enough this season for them to win. Now, if I look past this season and I look to next season, I'm putting the Brooklyn Nets as the early favorites to win the NBA championship in 2022. I'm putting that out there. I think if they made no changes to the roster and only brought in free agents and maybe a trade here or there, they just need perimeter defenders. They need perimeter defenders. That's it. And whether they roll with Kyrie or they get somebody else, and I, I highly doubt that they would ever trade Kyrie for somebody else, but this is just a hypothetical situation. If they're able to fill in those slots around those three stars, that might be the most dominant offensive team that we've ever seen, period. And wherever the Nets go from here is completely reliant on Kyrie Irving. James Harden came into the starting lineup last night, zero practices with the team. Let's get this out of the way really quick. Zero practices with the team, literally walked off a plane and dropped 30 points in a victory. No big deal. Light work for James Harden. So in closing, Kyrie, pull it together. This is your chance to make your legacy as a winner to make your legacy as somebody who is more than just a media problem, who's more than the problem, pull it together because this is the team. Next story. The Raptors aren't dead yet. After the worst start since 2005, they've clawed their way back to a 4-8 and eight record and they look like they may be rounding the corner into a competent team yet this season. Aaron Baines and Alex Len have still yet to show that they really belong in the rotation, and you can really only play one of them for about 10 minutes a night. But they found ways to plug the holes in the team for now. And it is a temporary solution. If you think you're going the entire year with a center rotation of OG Ananobi, 10 minutes from one of the new signings, Yuta Wontanabe and Stanley Johnson, that's, that's not going to work out in the current NBA. And say what you will about P.J. Tucker being able to play center last season. It just doesn't work for every team. And eventually teams are going to catch on. It works right now because it's new. And as fun as it is, and as much hustle as they bring, and as much defense as they bring, and as novel as the idea is, if you're projecting over a season, you're projecting into the playoffs, is that enough? Not really, in my opinion. And if I'm reviewing my assessment of the team from before winter break, I think I missed on some stuff. If I'm being really honest, if, I, if I'm being very critical about my thoughts of the team, I thought Aaron Baines would fit in a lot better than he has. He looks washed. He barely looks playable on most nights. Alex Len has his moments, but still, again, he barely looks playable with the current lineup. You lose Serge Ibaka. The Serge Ibaka-Kyle Lowry pick-and-roll was so important to the Raptors' offense, and there's just been nothing to replace that. Now, Pascal's got his post touches up. He looks like he is going to be 
finding the form that he had prior to the bubble last year. And thank God for the Raptors, because that would have been a disaster if he never found his way back to that. He's making plays. He's looking great. I said it. After the disastrous start to the season even, including being benched, he's back. Fred Van Vliet, he's solid. Kyle Lowry, he's solid. There's a lot of positives to this team. But the negatives are so deep and so intertwined into the rotation. I don't know that this team has a real chance at making a run at anything. And that's fine. And I said that this team would look a lot different. And people, I don't think we're ready for that. When you lose Surge, when you lose Marcus Hall, and there's only about a month in between seasons, you don't have the time to absorb that. So this catastrophic failure on the Toronto Raptors front office's behalf of putting together a competent roster this season to try and preserve cap space for Giannis Antetokounmpo, who, by the way, signed a new $228.2 million Supermax contract, it didn't work out. Swing and a miss. And we're due for it. We're due for a bad season from the Toronto Raptors. And that's okay. The championship high can't last forever, but I think we need to prepare ourselves for a situation where Kyle Lowry, the greatest Raptor of all time, and there's no question about that, is on the trading block. And believe me, I know as a Raptors fan, that just doesn't even sound right. But if you look towards the future, what do the Raptors have on the roster right now? Do we think that OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet are the guys that lead you to the next championship. I'm not sure that they are. I'm sure that they're part of what could lead you to the next championship, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being a cog in the wheel. But if we're looking at rebuilding, if you're looking at what comes next, clearly this era of championship basketball is done. And if you can get a first-round pick, if you can get some assets for an aging Kyle Lowry, I'd entertain it. I honestly would. I guess we'll see where the Raptors go from here. They've got a couple tough games coming up next, but the schedule and the inconsistencies with the teams this season, it's so hard to grade out who's losing to who, who's winning where. It's the most inconsistent, chaotic season of basketball in terms of forecasting wins that I've ever personally witnessed, so it's tough to say that the Raptors could find their way back from here. I think they'll be in the playoffs. I think it'll be a 7th, 8th seed. I think it'll be pretty low, unless they're able to trade for somebody, and the trade market, <laughs> that James Harden trade took like half of the trade market off the market, so it's tough to see where things go from here. Hoping for the best, it's looking okay, and it's looking better than it was. Keep the faith, Raptors fans. Thank you for tuning in right here on Riot Radio to Shot Selection. We are moving to a bi-weekly slot, so that means next week there will be no show. But the week after that, we will be back talking about two weeks of basketball news. It gives me a bit more time to do things outside of school, which I want to disclose. <laughs> you guys will see what I'm doing very, very soon. I'm sure I'll even talk about it on here. But thank you again for tuning in right here on Riot Radio, and stay tuned for more great content.